0: Well, I would invite you to open up your copies of the Word of God to our text this evening. I was encouraged uh, that you're reading through the book of Hebrews because our text this evening comes from the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Hebrews chapter 10, 19 through 25. This is a glorious passage which teaches us of Christ. What he has done for us and what he calls us to as his people. And so hear this reading from the word of God. Hebrews 10 verses 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, as you see the day drawing near. May may God bless this reading of his word to us. Please pray with me. Lord our God, you have given us your word for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness so that your people might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We pray that now as we come to your word, you would speak to us and that you would equip us so that we might be good and faithful servants. We ask, O Lord, that you would bless the word to us, that we would be not only hearers, but also doers of the word. We pray that you would do this for your glory and honor, and we ask in Christ's name, amen. I'd like you to imagine for a moment, if you will, that sometime in the future, you go out to your mailbox, and as you're Going through your mail, looking at what you've received, you find a very official-looking envelope. Intrigued, you open it up, and inside it, you see an invitation. Not just an invitation to something normal like a, a birthday party or something. No, you see an invitation which says you are cordially invited to join the President of the United States for dinner next Friday evening. How would you respond to that? What would you do? What would you say? I'm sure all of us would first check to make sure that, you know, this was actually real. We'd feel rather silly if we showed up to the White House and we hadn't been invited at all. But after you did your due diligence and you found out this was indeed an invitation from the president, I'm sure you, regardless of who the president was at the time when you received that invitation, would gladly accept and would go to this momentous Thing that you have been invited to, an opportunity to meet with the President of the United States face-to-face, to uh, join with him over a meal, uh, to get to know him a little bit, and to see kind of the, the glory and the splendor, which you might see having dinner with the President. Well, while this is probably very unlikely to happen to any of us, we have Something far better as Christian people. We have something glorious. Access, not just to someone like the President of the United States. No, we have access to the living and true God. We have access not just because we have received a piece of paper, we have access because we have received salvation. Through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here in our text in Hebrews, we see something of that. Here, uh, the writer of Hebrews seeks to impress upon us that because of who Christ is, and because of what he has done, Christians ought to live in a particular way. They ought to live a life of boldness before God. Because of Christ, who Christ is, and because of what he has done, Christians ought to live a particular way. The author of Hebrews uh, draws this out for us uh, in two ways. First, he shows us by whom we have bold access. The Lord Jesus Christ, the grounds of the Christian life, if you will. And then in the second part of our text this evening, he'll show us uh, three things which we are called to as Christians, uh, living this bold life before God, coming to the Lord in boldness. Uh, We see outworking Of the Christian life. Verses 19 through 21, the grounds of the Christian life. And verses 22 through 25, the outworking of the Christian life. As Dr. Tan told us earlier, the main theme of the book of Hebrews is Jesus is better. The author brings that out gloriously uh, through the first ten chapters. And he's telling us how Christ is better than the angels and how Christ is better than uh, the uh, scriptures of the Old Testament of the, the previous revelation of God. Of how Christ is better than the Levitical priesthood. How Christ is better than even Melchizedek. Christ is a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, but he's greater. How Christ is the greater mediator of the covenant than anyone else. How Christ is... The great sacrifice of God. Christ is indeed greater. He is better. He is superior to all of these other things. That's what the author of Hebrews tells us in the first ten chapters up to our text this evening. Because our text this evening is a turning point. The author has proclaimed the greatness and the glory of Christ. How much better he is than everything else. And then we come to our text this evening... And again, showing to us the greatness of Christ, he shows us the practical implications of that in our life. We see that here in verse 19, which begins the apostles' teaching of the grounds of the Christian life. He says to us, therefore, brothers. Therefore, in light of all of these things which I have previously told you, considering the fact that Christ is greater than all of these other things, brothers, therefore, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way which he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, Because of who Christ is, because of what he has done, we have bold entrance to God's presence. We have bold entrance to God's presence because of Christ's priestly work. Because of who he is and what he has done. Christ's priestly work. What has he done as our great high priest? Well, here, the author tells us, that he's done two things in, in particular. There's many things which he's done for a priest, but here he tells us that Christ has done two things. First, he has shed his blood on our behalf. We say, he says we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, God taking on human flesh and descending to earth so that he could sympathize with us, so that he could be like us in every way yet without sin was the perfect and holy sacrifice needed to make atonement for us, a peace with God, to cleanse us from our sins, and to bring us into fellowship with God once again. He did this by the shedding of his blood as the perfect and pure sacrifice. Now you know from uh, your studies of the Old Testament that the children of Israel were to bring their sacrifices to God. They were supposed to bring... Animals that were without blemish, without spot, no defects in them whatsoever. Christ is the spotless and pure Lamb of God. That's what John sees in his vision and the revelation. He sees a pure and spotless Lamb. He sees Christ. That's what Christ was for us, the pure and spotless One. Living a life, a perfect and holy Keeping every single aspect of God's law, even the most minute. Those things which are so easy for us to, to stumble over, to, so easy for us to break and, and disobey. Christ kept it all, living a life of perfect holiness and righteousness. And he shed his blood for us, being the sacrifice, the propitiation for our sins. His priestly work was to shed the blood of the sacrifice for his people. His priestly work was also to open up a way for God's people to have access. Look at what he says here in verse 20 of our text. The author writes that Christ uh, has given us confidence to enter the holy place by his blood, but he's given us confidence to enter the holy place by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain that is his flesh. See, when he talks about newness here, he's not talking about something which is new in time, but really kind of the idea of freshness. You see, people had access to God in the Old Testament. The the Old Testament church, the people of Israel, could come to God, but they had to come through their mediator, the high priest. They could really only come once a year, when the high priest went past the curtain into the Holy of Holies. To represent the people before God. Well, the author tells us here that this new way, this fresh way, this glorious way opens up access to the Holy of Holies for those who trust in Christ. He did this through his flesh, through Christ's death on the cross, through his sacrifice. He has made a way through the curtain. When the author mentions the curtain, no doubt our minds are all drawn to that curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple. The curtain which was torn from top to bottom upon Christ's death. The curtain that was split in two because it was no longer needed. For the perfect sacrifice had been made through the death of Christ and he had opened up this access to God. Our great high priest does not come before the great Lord of glory once a year to make atonement for his people. He has made atonement once for all, opening up the way for all of his people, all who are united to him by faith, to come boldly to the throne room of God. To the mercy seat of God. We may come day in and day out to our great Lord, uh, confessing our sins to him so that we are uh, once again uh, have a right spirit renewed in us. We may come to him boldly, uh, seeking his face in prayer and in worship, glorifying him and asking for his help in all of our lives. We may come boldly because. Of Christ's work. But the author also tells us that we may come boldly because of Christ's office, his priestly office. He is a great priest, a high priest. Verse 21 we have a great high priest over the house of God. Our shorter catechism asks us the question how does Christ execute the office of a priest? What does Christ do? What, what is his work as a priest, as our priest, our great high priest? Well, the answer to the catechism is, excuse me. Christ executes the office of a priest in his once offering up of himself a sacrifice to satisfy divine justice and reconcile us to God and in offering continual intercession for us. Christ is not a priest who did his work and then turns away from us, turns a blind eye to us. He is the priest who is constantly representing us before God. John speaks of this in, in 1 John chapter 2. He says, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. The one who's constantly making intercession for us. Who has cleansed us of our sins by his death on the cross, by his blood, and who now ever lives above to intercede for us. To constantly say, this is my my disciple. This, O Father, is your adopted child. This is one who has been united to me. This is part of the work of Christ, his, his great high priestly work. Having atoned for us and interceding for us. He does this over the house of God, the people of God, the adopted children of God. Household language is all throughout Scripture, and it ought to always remind us of one of those great blessings which we have in Christ Jesus in the heavenly places that is, our adoption. Think of it, dear Christian. You, when you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, though you should, like the prodigal son, really only be. Uh, brought into the, the people of God as a servant are not kept out of the house, but you were brought in. You are made a child of God by adoption, having all of the promises of God given to you, uh, receiving an inheritance from God, one which is sealed to you by the Holy Spirit, one which you will get on the last day. You have been made part of the household of God because of your great high priest, because of your elder brother, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has done this work on your behalf. This is a great and glorious truth. Christ is all the grounds of the Christian faith. Without the Lord Jesus Christ, anything which we might do to uh, try to live the Christian life is worthless. It's useless. Anything done outside of Christ is dross, it's dirt, rubbish. But because of who Christ is and what he has done, the Lord God is pleased with us. And he accepts our work. He accepts those things which we are called to do. Called to do as part of the outworking of the Christian life. And what are those things? Well, the writer of Hebrews gives us three lettuces. And the preceding verses, things we are supposed to do, not let us, uh, the leafy green, let us do these things. Let us, in verse 22, draw near. The first thing we're called to do is to draw near to God. In light of what Christ has done, in light of who he is, we are, as Christians, meant to have close fellowship with the Lord God. So often, when we sin against God, when our, our consciences uh, prick us and bear witness against us, the last thing that we want to do is to draw near to God. We hide from Him like Adam and Eve, ashamed of our sins. We, we act like David in Psalm 32. We keep silent until finally... The Lord, in in His grace by His Spirit, reminds us we have bold access to the Lord. We need not shrink back in fear. Christ has made atonement for us. Christ has already paid for that sin that does not give us a license to sin, but it should give us confidence and boldness to flee to the Lord. As soon as we realize that we have sinned against him, to, to run to him and to cry out, Oh Lord, forgive me for the things I've done. Renew a right spirit within me. Guide me in your ways. Lord, help me to obey you. Oh, don't leave me where I'm at. Because of Christ, have mercy upon me. We are to draw near to God. We're to draw near with a true heart in full assurance. Christ has done all things necessary. What more do you need to be assured of your salvation? The perfect spotless sacrifice has died on behalf of all who place their faith in him. You can come to God knowing that your great high priest intercedes for you. You can come to God knowing That he is quick to forgive. You can come to God knowing that he loves to save all who come to him in repentance and faith. The Lord Jesus Christ and God our Father and the Holy Spirit are a God who love, love to save sinners All we need to do is look at what God has taught us in his word to see that. Christ has done this work so that we may draw near to God. We're to draw near uh, with a true heart. We're also to draw near in faith, trusting in Christ, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The author of Hebrews again draws our attention back to the priests and the Old Testament. Who before they went before God on the day of atonement, before they they made that sacrifice on behalf of the people, had to wash themselves with water so that they would be ritually clean before they went before God. Uh, The writer of Hebrews here tells us that we must also be washed. And indeed, if you have placed your faith in Christ, you are washed. You have been cleansed from all of your sins. You have been cleansed from an evil conscience. You have been washed with pure water. When he speaks of our bodies being washed, he's not necessarily talking about baptism. But it's always good for our minds to uh, be drawn to baptism when we read about the washing with water. It's always good for us to be reminded of what baptism teaches you. Children. If you have received baptism, you should remember that your baptism teaches you that you need to have God as your father. You need to have Jesus as your savior. You need to have the Holy Spirit in your heart. And that he calls even children, come to me, trust in me, believe in me. It's what your baptism teaches you. It's a sign to you, visibly, that the Lord God loves to save sinners. And through the sacrifice of christ salvation is made both for grown-ups and for children so i encourage you uh, think about your baptism and think about what that is teaching you look to the lord jesus christ for salvation he's a great high priest who saves us to the uttermost well, that's the first thing which we are called to do let us draw near but we're also told to hold fast to our confession let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. We are to confess, hold fast to the confession of our hope. It's interesting he does not say to hold fast to the confession of our faith, although faith here is implied with hope, but we are to hold fast. We are to, to hold tightly, to cling to the promises of God in Christ. The fact that the Lord Jesus Christ does offer salvation to us. So we can come to God boldly and we can come to God holding fast to this hope. Christ has made this promise. This promise is for me. It's not a general promise. It's specific. You may take hold of that. More certainly and sure than anything else in this world. Why? Because he who promised is faithful. God will not go back on his word. He does not change his mind from one day to the next. He's into a capricious God like the gods of the pagan nations. Who One day they said, well, yeah, we'll send rain to these people. And the next day they were sending fire. No, our God is a God who is kind and loving, who always keeps his word, who is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. One to whom we can come boldly without wavering because of who he is. He's the faithful and true God. We may hold fast to the confession of our hope. We may hold fast without wavering. That is the second of the lettuces. And the third... Let us consider how to stir one another up. We are called in this Christian life to consider each other. We saw a brief uh, portion of what that means this morning as, as we were exhorted to comfort one another. But the writer to the Hebrews has a few other things in mind as well. In considering the body of Christ, we're to do a couple things. We're to stir each other up. In verse 24, we consider how to stir one another to love and good works. We're supposed to encourage one another in light of who Christ is and what he's done to also live life boldly before God, to come to him, to draw near to him, to hold fast the confession. We are to encourage one another day in and day out, constantly reminding one another, This is who you are in Christ. This is who Christ is. This is how he calls us to live. We're to do this uh, in love and good works, stirring one another up, to love each other, to obey the Lord, to look to uh, the law of God, not as some burdensome document that we have to struggle to keep, but as God's revealed will to us on how he desires for us to live. The thing which guides us and how we can glorify and honor him. The rules for our life which, which show us how holy our God is. We obey the law not to earn salvation or to make God pleased with us. He's already as pleased with us as he can be if we're in Christ. But we obey God's law. We are stirred up to good deeds, to good works, because we love the Lord. Do you love the Lord? Do you delight to serve Him and obey Him? It can be difficult sometimes to do this, but I would encourage you, you, as you seek to obey Him, remember who Christ is and what He's done. Don't look to the law saying, I must do this, I must do this. Look to Christ and run towards him and let the law direct you into how he desires you to live. Look most of all to Christ. Consider him and ask him to guide you in his ways. So we're to stir one another up. Part of the way which we do this is by meeting together as the saints of God. Look at what verse 25 says. We're to consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. Now, in our day and age, we we might be tempted to think, well, we don't really have to meet together personally. We have telephones, we have email, we have Zoom. And so we could all just uh, depart and live lives of isolation away from each other, and we can still encourage one another and stir each other up. But that's not how God made us. We are made in the image of God, and God himself is a God of, of communion and fellowship. In eternity past, the Father, Son, and Spirit shared in, in deep love and communion and fellowship with one another. Our trying God needs nothing from us, He's completely self-sufficient. And so in that self-sufficiency, he had perfect fellowship within uh, himself. And he's designed us to also be those who are in need of fellowship. He's made us to be joined together as Christians. The illustration is used in Scripture of, of the people of God being a body of whom Christ is the head. Body parts are used to describe us. Well, a finger cannot leave a body and be on its own and function the way that it's supposed to. An arm can't say, I'm going to go off and do my own thing. I can be completely independent. The hand needs the fingers. The fingers need the hand and and the arm. The arm needs the torso. The body needs each other. For one to uh, depart From the gathered people of God, and to say, I don't need any of that, I can do it all by myself, is foolishness. We are encouraged here, exhorted here, to not neglect meeting together. Don't separate yourself off from the corporate gathering of the saints. Christ is the Savior of the church, his bride, for whom he died. He is the head of the church, the gathered people of God, the assembly of the saints. Christians, we cannot go off and be the church by ourselves. We can be the church when we are the gathered people of God, corporate people of God. So do not neglect meeting together. If you neglect meeting together, how can you stir each other up to love and good works? You can't. We need one another. We are also to encourage one another. Part of this considering one another, part of this stirring each other up is to encourage one another. We did see a glimpse of that as well this morning. To encourage one another in the comfort of the resurrection. And here, the author of Hebrews draws our attention to something of the same thing. We're to encourage each other and all the more as we see the day drawing near and light of christ's return we are to help one another to live the life we are called to live we are to help one another pointing each other to christ our great high priest directing each other's gaze to the glories which are in the lord jesus christ to the beauty which we see in christ And we're supposed to do it more and more and more. Because the day of Christ's return grows ever closer. Now, he might not return in our lifetime. If he did, how beautiful and glorious would that be? But he is returning one day. And so we as God's people ought to encourage generation after generation after generation to focus on Christ to see his beauty and glory, to follow after him with all that we are, with all that we have, to demonstrate how great and glorious our Savior is because he is truly a great and glorious Savior. That's not an empty phrase. Those aren't trite words. It's the very truth. Christ is great and Christ is glorious. So encourage one another and build each other up and this most holy faith that we have been called to seek to live for Christ and to point others to Christ and to encourage them to live for Christ. That is what we are called to do. I would be remiss if I did not exhort you this evening to come to Christ. You see, there is no other way to boldly approach the Lord God, to come into his presence. No other way except through the Lord Jesus Christ. I mentioned how our baptisms point us to this truth, which we need God as, as our Father and Christ as our Savior. We need the Spirit in our hearts. We need to come to God through Christ because we cannot come to him any other way. This is the only means which, which God has given for salvation. So I encourage you this evening, if you have not come to Christ, if you cannot hold fast to the confession of the hope and full assurance because you don't know if you trust in Christ, if you cannot draw near to God with a true heart in full assurance of faith. If you do not have any regard for the people of God, you don't care about them at all. I exhort you to repent and to turn to Christ. Flee to him. Cry out to him. Even this very moment, asking him to forgive you. To be your great high priest. Not just a priest generally, but your priest. The one which you need. Do not wait to do that. Come to him now. Because he calls you to that. And he will delight to save you. Because he is a kind savior who loves to save sinners. Well, if we had an invitation from the president of the United States to come and have dinner with him. And we showed up at the White House and we were stopped and they asked, why are you here? I don't think any of us would hesitate to pull out that invitation and show it to security and say, I'm here because I was personally invited. How much more should we come to God boldly and say, I am here, not because of anything which I have done. I am here in spite of all the things which I have done. I am here because Christ has made full satisfaction For my sins. I come to the throne of God. Boldly. Humbly yes. But boldly. Because I have a great and glorious savior. We ought to do that. We must do that. We have a sure and solid ground. For bold access. Christ the great high priest. Who has made full atonement for our sins. And we have a call from God, to come to Him boldly, drawing near and holding fast to our confession and considering one another. Why wait any longer? Why hesitate? Go boldly to the Lord God because of who Christ is and because of what He's done. Live your lives in the way which you have been called to live. Live your lives boldly before God as His children for whom Christ has made full satisfaction and glorify Him for the great salvation which He has abundantly provided. Do this in full assurance that He delights in the Christian's faith and love and drawing near because He delights to have us as His people. Let's pray. O Lord, we stand in awe of your great grace towards us, that while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, while we were your enemies, you made us alive together with Christ, the great high priest who has made full satisfaction for our sins. Our Father, we thank you for loving us so much that you sent your only begotten Son to be the propitiating sacrifice for us. We thank you. Lord our God, for calling us to yourself so that we might have so great a salvation. Help us, O Lord, to walk humbly before you, but help us to be bold coming to you at all times and always because we have a great high priest who is like us in every respect yet without sin, who is able to sympathize with us in all things, who makes intercession for us and who has saved us to the uttermost. We pray that you would do this for your glory and honor. We ask in Christ's name, amen.